kind of a, a mixed emotion Sunday for me. I just got to tell you that right up front. Um, as we've uh, been working through the book of Esther, um, we're at the end. Believe it or not, it's been eight weeks long of going through the book of Esther, and uh, as much as I get excited about starting, I kind of, I'm excited sometimes to end them, but I'm also kind of like, oh, this has been kind of fun working through the book of Esther, and um, it's been interesting. It's been interesting, certainly, as I've been studying it and learning about uh, Esther and the Bible and where that all fits in. Uh, as some of you may remember, or if you're new here this morning, uh, Esther was one of those books of the Bible that was kind of questionable. Uh, many of the church leaders, founders early on didn't think Esther should be included in the Bible because it doesn't mention God, it's not overly um, centered around worship. Um, you know, we were singing about broken parts, uh, pots and, and low parts in life, and Esther's in the history of that time. It's probably one of the lowest uh, in Israel's history, right? They've been put into captivity, uh, first by the uh, Babylonians, and then the Babylonians get taken over by the, the, Mer- uh, the Medes and the Persians. There we go. I knew I could get it yet. And uh, Again, it's been a long time. It's been several years, and they're not quite yet leaving there, and they're into building the temple and the worship and all that yet. It's that time in Ezra, and they're being disciplined by God. And so it's a low point. Um, It's been several decades now at this point before they've moved on. And yet we have this story tucked in there, right? And again, I, I've said this often, if you ask someone on the street or even someone in church, what is the, the famous line from Esther? What is it? I don't ask rhetorical questions. You know that. Come on. For such a time as this, right? And hopefully, hopefully, give your pastor one thing. If someone says that to you, say, oh, but there's so much more, Right? The book of Esther has so much more than that. If, if you try to summarize it, and again, I'm a bottom liner, but if you try to summarize it in that phrase, you've missed a lot in the book. Right? Esther is, is full of hope. It's full of unlikely people being used by God. Right? Right? In fact, the, the book of Esther, is it really about Esther? Who's it about? God. And what, what about God? It's good to say God, that's a, that's a safe answer, but what about God? God, he's everything, but he's also faithful, right? God has been faithful throughout this whole story to preserve his people and the circumstances around that. We also saw that God uses unlikely people, right? People that we wouldn't pick, people that we wouldn't choose. Remember, Esther herself is nothing special in and of herself, right? She's an orphan. She has an uncle, just so happens to get put in this parade of women by King Xerxes to to be chosen. A year of beauty treatments, right, to to lead up to that point. And she gets chosen to be the new queen. Again, we talked about how the, the queen, though, in and of herself, is not that special in the Persian kingdom. Right? And King Xerxes is no, no great husband by any means. In fact, we find that he's very irrational and in his emotions. Right, He gets angry very quickly. He's up and down. He's moody at best. Runs off in his anger, gets in trouble. Uh, can't fault him too bad in that, though, because sometimes we still do that. 
You know, I was talking to someone this morning. It's hard. Sometimes we get anger, right? What we do with that, how do we respond? I think we could clearly see that King Xerxes does not respond correctly with his anger. He's not a believer either, and so uh, that's only part of his. This queen, but after he gets chosen, right? Gets chosen to be this, this queen, but she's part of a harem, and it's not an easy life. In fact, it's pretty miserable, to be honest. And we talked about no, today, it's no different than being sex trafficked, right? Just being used for her body, and how sad that is. But yet, God uses her and Mordecai. We had the villain, right? We had the villain in Haman, right? Haman the Agite. We've been, been working through that. Haman hated the Jews. Again, nothing new. That's not a new concept. But God has a way of working that out, right? If you, you hate the Jews, God has a way of evening that score, right? Not by the Jews' hand, but by God's hand. And so we saw that where the role was reversed on Haman, now, if you're new here this morning or if you've missed a few Sundays, I'm going to encourage you to go back and read it. It's 10 chapters. They're not very long. It's a pretty easy read because I'm just giving you a couple of the highlights as we've been working through. But I brought you almost all the way up to chapter 8, right? And last week we saw the, the, the ending, the big ending with Haman's life. And now Esther's been given his estate. And now they had this problem, this big problem, right? Because there's an edict out from the king to have all the Jews be killed. And what was the one thing I said about Persian kings, right? Are they ever wrong? Nope. At least in their own mind, they're never wrong. So they got a problem because he's put this out there as well. He's put his stamp of approval on, upon Haman's advice to have all the Jews killed in a certain day. So how do you reverse that, right? How do you work that out so that you don't allow yourself to be wrong. Well, he lets Mordecai write this, and this is what we're going to look at today, but basically it's going to get rewritten that the Jews can defend themselves, right? They can put up their own defense. So he doesn't say that it's wrong, but he allows them at least if they're going to get attacked, they can defend themselves. Off on with some help. And so that's kind of where we pick up the story. We kind of left off on kind of a little bit of into chapter 9 last week, and so we're going to pick it back up in chapter 9, verse 5, the guys are good. I knew, it. I knew they'd have it up there. Thanks, Ike, or Brandon, or both of you guys. Be safe. I'm not sure which. The Jews struck down all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed Pardesia, Delapitha, Apatha, Portatha, Aldea, Ardea, Parmesia, Arcia, Ardella, and Vasella. If any of you want to pronounce those for me, I would have loved to have you step up, but no one was volunteering this morning. Verse 10, the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamathiah, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. I think that's it for the, the, the names, the hard ones anyways, that I have to try to get through. But interesting, right? I said the king has now allowed them to defend themselves. And so that's the spot that they're at. And it's interesting, it mentions here about killing with the sword. 
I don't know if you ever thought about that. I'm not trying to go dark on you this morning, but that's a hard way to face someone. It's pretty brutal, right? And it's a sword, and it's, it's eye contact. Again, it's, it's, it's brutal defending with a sword, and again, it was by impaling them on the sword. So it's not a pretty way, but again, it's, it's that defense that they need. Otherwise, it's killed or be killed. They're in that situation. And so that's where they find themselves. And we see here where 500, right actually in the capital, that are killed. Remember, they had, they had enemies right there. Not only Haman was there, but his sons, and he obviously had other people that were in the same boat. Um, it's hard to believe, but this group of Jews, even though they've been there quite a while, they were not liked. In fact, there were many that hated them. And again, a lot of times it was long-standing history of hate, generational. It goes way, way back and it just kept perpetuating. Sadly, we see that today, right? We, we have that in, our, in today, the Middle East, right? They, they grew up hating a certain group. Well, that's what we have here. And so it's a, it's a sad time. It's, not a, it's a hard thing to defend and to have to even kill another human being. But it's, like I said, it's either kill or be killed. And then at the end of it here, though, it gives us a little glimpse, though, something that's a little interesting. It says, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. They didn't take what was rightfully theirs. I mean, that's typically how that goes. In fact, Haman's edict was exactly that. Haman's edict was if you killed the Jews and you got their estate, their, their plunder, you got everything, you'd give a portion to the king, but you, you got to, to keep that. You'd keep their lands and all that. But the Jews didn't. Interesting. A little bit of self-control, I would say. Right? Could have gone further. Certainly would have been within their rights, but they said, nope, we're not going to go that far. We're just going to defend ourselves. We're just going to keep ourselves alive, but we're not going to go beyond that. We're not going to try to expand or to grow our country within a country. I was told you this was an interesting dynamic because, again, the king is over all this, and he's allowing groups to fight within there. Normally, you don't do that, right? You don't, you don't want civil unrest. So this is a special thing. As, again, it's just God is using this king to protect his people. But it still takes work. Work on their part, and then it also takes some self-control. I was thinking of this, I heard us, troll thing is kind of an interesting thing because usually when someone hurts us or attempts to hurt us, right, we, we usually don't want to just make peace. We want to get something out of that, right? Or we want to, you know, if they take something from us, we want to take something a little bit more than that, right? We tend to get angry and, and again, we, we, we up the, the cost of what we want to get from them. But here they didn't. Presumably, they're being guided by God here and saying, nope, that's far enough. Just defend yourselves. Just hold on. I got you covered. It's an interesting thought here. And again, it's a reminder for us as well not to be too quick to take more than what we're supposed to say. Some self-control. Verse 11. It says, the number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's providence? Now what is your petition 
it will be given you what is your request, it also will be granted. This is Esther speaking to the king. Remember, this was a special relationship. It's a hard relationship because at any point in time, the king can deny her coming and can have her killed or put out. But we also know Esther has found favor with the king, and so she has his ear, at least for this small period of time, in the middle of this ongoing battle. So she asks us, if it pleases the king, give the Jews and Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on the poles. So the king commanded that this be done, an edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay hands on the plunder. So essentially, the king has given them permission. Mordecai and Esther have written up these decrees. They put it out. They can defend themselves on this one day, right? The day that they're supposed to be killed themselves. They can defend themselves. And interesting, Esther goes back and asks for a second day. And not just for the whole kingdom, but just right there in the city. So evidently, and again, looking through the, the history and, and, and reading into it a little bit, there, the, the mission wasn't completed. Evidently, there were still, at least from here, there was 300 people that still wanted to kill the Jews. And they already had killed 500, and now 300 more is being added by a second day. This is quite a request. It's not an, an easy thing to grant. Again, a, a king in his kingdom doesn't like unrest. It's unnerving. It's not, it's not good. It's not good business sense from that standpoint. Again, Esther asks him humbly, and he grants it to her. So they have two days in the, the capital city to defend themselves. And again, the, we talked a little bit about the, the poles and impaling, again, just as put, to put on display as a warning to those who would do harm against the Jews. Again, they've been allowed to defend themselves. They've been allowed to, to do even more. Yet, they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Right? Many historians have looked back and said, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on many accounts. Not only is it not customary, but it doesn't make sense. You know, the, the Jews are struggling. They're, they're just barely hanging on. Why wouldn't they, they have this opportunity to go a little bit further? And they don't. But it's a, it's a theme that's running through there. And again, we, we, we can't see motivation. That's hard sometimes to see the motivation of something. But obviously there's something at work here that they only go so far. And then they draw back. Whether it's self-control, being led by God, whatever it is, there's something that's holding them back from going all out. Verse 16. Boy, this story does get better. I know it's kind of dark here in the beginning, but again, sometimes you have to go through that tough stuff to, to get to the, the celebration. Verse 16. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and to get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of feasting 
assembled on the third day and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th day, and then on the 15th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting and a day for giving presents to each other. So it's interesting here, but this is the beginning of a new holiday for them. This is a national holiday now for them. They, they actually still celebrate that today. Jews will celebrate that, but it's celebrated over two days. And it, the Jews, again, history is very important. Depending on where your line comes out of, depends on which day you celebrate it. Some celebrate a little bit of both through both days, but they actually will trace back and try to figure it out. But it's two days of a holiday. I kind of wanted to stop right there for a minute because holidays, we, we have a bunch of them coming up, I think. I think that we're getting into that season, right? And sometimes, I'm just going to say it, we lose track of why we celebrate what we celebrate. Whether it be Christmas, whether it be Thanksgiving, Veterans Day, we lose sight of that. And sometimes we let the outside world dictate why we're celebrating what we're celebrating. The Jews are celebrating this holiday, and it was very important to them because this was their deliverance. In a foreign land, under a foreign king, this was their hope of survival. And so that's certainly something to celebrate. Right? That's, a, that's a big deal. And again, it just shows God's faithfulness, right? which is really the main theme of the book of Esther and most of the Old Testament, is God's faithfulness. And so that holiday is a reminder to them how God provided, how God took care of them, and even in a foreign land, still cared and loved for them. So I guess my plea would be, is one of them is, don't miss out on the Christmas holidays. We have a big one coming up, right? We have Christmas, Thanksgiving. Those are big holidays. Don't miss out on them. Don't get distracted by all the stuff around, but focus on why we celebrate those things as believers. And certainly our Veterans Day as well. I don't mean to make light of that holiday. That's an important one as well, celebrating those men and women. So, national holiday is established. Verse 20. It says, Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. I love the, the imagery here, right? Yeah, Mordecai writes this up, and again, he's, he's, he's under the king, but he's, he's moved up in position. And so he makes this national holiday for the Jews, but it's not just celebrating the, the fact that they got relief and that they're saved, but they also extend it to giving gifts, right? And giving gifts to the poor, right? Taking care of the needy. And I make note of that because that's always at the heart of God, right? Taking care of those who don't have as much as we do, taking care of the needy and the poor. 
You see that over and over again in Scripture. It's part of the call. It's part of the, and it's still the same call today as believers. And so when we have an abundance and we have things and we are able to give them to others, that's part of the heart of God. He wants us to do those things. And it's just another example of many in the Bible where God's provision comes through people. God does. I don't, I don't know why, but he uses people to accomplish his will. And quite often he uses just ordinary people, more often than not. And so it's a great encouragement. Verse 23. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamathiah the Agai, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back into, onto his own head, and that he and his sons should be impaled on the poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word pur, because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom, and they and their descendants and all who joined them should, should, should without, fault, yeah, without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among the descendants." He said, Charlie, we just went through all that, right? Well, the Bible's great. Sometimes it knows that we kind of need it pulled all together. And so um, this little couple of paragraphs that I read rather quickly just pulls it all back in together and ties it up. Like I said, it puts a nice little bow on it. It's the reason why they did it, where they got the name, right? Per the lot. We talked about casting the lots, and that was part of the provision even. The provision, the lot fell on a later date, which gave them more time. To prepare. We wouldn't say by chance, would we? Right? God's providence. He was taking care of them, even lining up the time. Timing is important to God as well. That's, I'm often reminded that sometimes when I give a request to God or I'm asking for something, right? You know, God always answers our prayers. Yes, no, and wait. And I don't know about you, but wait is always the hardest. Right? That waiting. But I also know God has a timing in that. Right? And again, things may not be right. And if I try to rush that, then I'm out of his will. Or if I wait too long, I'm out of his will, because then I've, I've missed an opportunity or I've gone beyond it. Right? God's timing is always perfect. And as I was sitting, studying and reading this week, I was also kind of going with God in a little bit of periods in my life and times when I've been right on time with, and right in line with God and then times where I've tried to rush it or try to get ahead of it, or times that I've missed opportunities because I've waited too long. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, I wish I had done that a week ago. I would have had a better opportunity, or, or now I've missed it. Right? So God's timing is perfect. And so we need to be in tune, obviously, with the Holy Spirit so that our timing lines up with His. It's important. All right, let's see if we can round the corner here and, and finish this up. We're going to do the end of chapter 9 and chapter 10. 
Don't get worried if you haven't looked ahead. Chapter 10 is only three verses, so we, we can do it pretty quick. They're not, they're not long at all. So. But again, we'll finish the story of Esther this morning. Verse 29. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abinai, the, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at the designated times as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation, Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records, right? So again, like I said, it wasn't just something they, they practiced secretly. This now became a national holiday, and, and inevitably, the, the Persians and those others around them would join in, or they would ask questions, right? God's provided an opportunity now for them to explain what took place, Right? Holidays are an opportunity. Family get-togethers are an opportunity to share. You may even have an opportunity this morning to say, hey, you know, someone says, hey, what did you do on Sunday morning? All right? What were you doing? Opportunities. God gives us many of those to, to share our faith, even subtly. Hey, I was in church on Sunday. Oh, yeah? Where were you in church on Sunday? Where do you go? I said, don't miss those. Sometimes it takes that simple open door just a little and you can, can walk through it. But here they have a, a holiday, a holiday to be able to celebrate. And again, the, the country would take a pause and celebrate with them. All right, chapter 10, as promised. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. All right, tribute, a.k.a tax. Just put it out there. It'd be interesting if we, we did that on our own, right? We, we have a, a sales tribute or a gas tribute. Doesn't quite, tribute doesn't sound, sounds a little bit better, doesn't it? But anyways, sorry, that's a side, bad dad joke. All right. But uh, verse two, before I get in any more trouble. And all of this acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of, the pe- of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Again, we've, we've kind of, as we've gone back through the book of Esther, we've, Mordecai's been there all along the way, and, and Mordecai at times seems like he's spiritually advanced and doing well, and then other times Mordecai's kind of, we've kind of questioned it, right? The life of Mordecai is kind of interesting if you pull it out of the story of Esther and kind of look along, but Mordecai now has come into power, great power. Again, unusual in many ways. I mean, he's from another nationality, and yet he's second in command. He's been elevated to this high position. He has the king's ear. He has an open table. He has finances. He has resources. He has a voice at the table. Yet he's a Jew, right? Again, God uses those ordinary people for extraordinary things. 
And here we see some of that, that Mordecai uses his power and his strength and his position to look out for the Jews. He gets a say to help protect them. If he sees some policy that's going against them, he can speak against it. Again, he's that voice. Again, it's not recorded in Scripture. We don't know exactly all the things that he did with that, but we, we do see here it is recorded that he did speak up for his people. He watched out for them. Right? That wouldn't have taken place otherwise. But again, God's used Mordecai now in this spot. Interesting, too, it, it's written in the history books, right? Each kingdom would keep their history, right? And that was protected, right? If you were a king, you wanted everything recorded that was good. The bad stuff, you leave out, right? If you're going to write your own story, you might as well write it you know, in the positive, not the negative. But even in this, it says that Mordecai's name is listed. Now, if we ever find those books, we can be assured that Mordecai is listed there. We obviously have it in our scriptures, and our Bibles, because Esther's made it into the canon and part of our Bible. But it's interesting, sometimes when you find these other pieces of history, or if you look back, it lines up with the Bible. In fact, a friend of mine sent me something this week. There's been some new discoveries recently about things that history has confirmed that the Bible is true, and which is, makes me chuckle a little bit, because I could have just saved them a lot of work and just said, yeah, I know the Bible's true, I, but I'm taking that on faith, Right? We do. We take it on faith. The Bible is true. What it says is true, and we live that way. We don't question it. We don't doubt it. But obviously, with an unbelieving world, many do. Many don't regard the Bible the same way we do. But it's interesting how history continually nothing up every once in a while, and something will be discovered. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, that was written in the Bible. That's nothing new. That's uh, uh, you know, like I said, they would have asked me. I could have just saved them the, the effort, but no. So that's written in there as well. So, as we wrap up this morning, the book of Esther. Who is the main character of Esther? God. Yeah. God. So, And if you've been with us, you now have enough information so you can explain at least a little bit of that story, right? Or if someone says, hey, what did Pastor Charlie preach, been preaching about? You can tell them the book of Esther. And, and it's not for just such a time as this. Again, certainly that Esther was in that spot for that time, but we're all in that time every day. And there's a lot more to the story. And out of that now has come a national holiday. So this morning, I just want to prick your mind a little bit. I want to ask you a question. And again, it's a personal question, but it's, and again, it's not one that I want to answer. I want you to kind of meditate on it or marinate on it. Um, but how have you seen God faithful in your life? How have you seen God faithful in your life? Because I really believe that every once in a while we need to take some stock, we need to take some memory and, and go back and say, hey, I remember when God was faithful in this situation. Because if we could be honest, we forget about those sometimes. And we go on, and we, we don't have a holiday to remind us, but we can go back and, and say, you know what? God was faithful during this period. Because sometimes that thing comes up again, right? And we need that reminder. All right, God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. And the Old Testament's full of time after time after time that God is faithful. Faithful. 
And we need to praise him for that and celebrate that. Bow with me, please. Oh, Lord, as we have been reading and studying of your faithfulness, Lord, we humbly stand before you and say thank you. Thank you for all the times that you've been faithful, even when we have not been faithful to you. And Lord, that we can count on you even when we can't count on others. Lord, I thank you for that. I praise you for that. Lord, help us to remember those times, Lord, and for the times that come ahead that we not forget. Lord, I'm also thankful and reminded that you love to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And Lord, I thank you for each person that's here this morning, Lord, and I know that you want to use them. Lord, give us the boldness, give us the courage to step out to where you've called us. Equip us, watch over us, and use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.